Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. He said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary, but turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things, and abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel, portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel, and in the midst of them stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, The Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. He said also unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Temaz. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about twenty and five men, with their backs toward the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east, and they worshipped the sun toward the east. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore will I also deal in fury. Mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, uh, we definitely ask for your help and your inspiration, your guidance as we look at this holy writ this morning. Heavy words that are given to us. These things that the prophet Ezekiel witnessed. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll help us as we set together this morning that we will see the truth of the passage and how it applies. And Lord, that you'll help us uh, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. I pray, dear Lord, that your presence will abide with us 
We ask these favors in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated for the message. I had great ponderings on the message this morning. Uh, some messages uh, are a little easier, and I, I questioned whether or not I was on the right text and, and was supposed to use this scripture, uh, and it uh, seemed that the Lord uh, gave me confirmation that I should proceed with this, uh, perhaps uh, outlining some of the things that went on here. How many, of, how many of you know much about Ezekiel? Uh, there's not a whole lot that's said about Ezekiel the prophet. You don't find really much information about him in the scriptures. Uh, Ezekiel uh, was a man who was a prophet along with the same time. I think uh, Jeremiah was 20 years older than Ezekiel. Uh, he was acquainted with Daniel. Daniel was approximately the same age as Ezekiel. Ezekiel would be considered a prophet of the exile. A prophet of the exile. It's meaning that uh, after God had uh, become, became angry because of the sinfulness of his people that uh, they refused to depart from, even though there were those who were messengers of God in the land that warned them about their sin, uh, yet uh, they persisted. Uh, they, they would not give up their sin. And so God allowed first the northern kingdom which was called the kingdom of Israel. Now we know the whole land to be Israel, but at that time it was divided into Israel and Judah. So you had a northern kingdom that was Israel, still in the same land that we all call Israel today, and the, and the southern portion was called Judah. Uh, so God allowed the Assyrians to come in, and in 722, they actually overpowered the northern kingdom and they took people out of that land and took them into another land. Uh, so the kingdom of Judah lasted over 100 years longer and you would have thought they would have known that God was very serious about his judgments and yet uh, they continued down the same path of disobedience and idolatry, following after heathen ways uh, until finally uh, God allowed a partial defeat of the country, of the southern part of Israel, of Judah. So uh, that was about 606 B.C., 606 years before Christ. Um, they still did not really turn to the Lord, and the scripture tells us that God allowed, this time it was not, it was not the Assyrians, but it was the Babylonians that came in. <clears throat> so the Babylonians had taken captives out of the northern part of Judah, or, or 
Judah, I should say. Now uh, uh, he allowed, God allowed the Babylonians, uh, who were the power that replaced the Assyrians, uh, from uh, approximately the same area of the, of the geography, uh, what uh, we look at now as being Iraq. Uh, God allowed them to come, uh, the Babylonians, and in 597, uh, they overpowered the country of Judah, this little southern kingdom that had for a while followed the Lord and had drifted away. Um, so you can look in, you can look in 2 Kings <clears throat> chapter 24, and this might help you a little bit if we actually read that. 2 Kings chapter 24, <coughs> and we're looking here uh, at verse 10. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you recognize that name from the book of Daniel, don't you? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went up out of the king of Babylon, out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants, and his princes and his officers. And I need a drink of water, folks. And the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried out thence of the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes. Now think about this. He's taking the powerful people and the brainiacs, the people with skills and, and abilities. He took away all Jerusalem, all the princes, all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths. So the smiths would be the ones that made tools and weapons and knew how to do metallurgy, sharpening things and so forth. Uh, none remain save, save the poorest sort of the people of the land. So you have 10,000 that are taken at this time, and, and they're marched off hundreds of miles away. I didn't reference it again, but it runs in my mind uh, that it was, it was a, a, a long journey of like 500 miles. It was a long ways, and many of them, I'm sure, died on the way, those that could not stand that kind of a trip. Uh, so uh, that tells us what went on. And at that time when 10,000 were taken, Ezekiel was taken. He was, he was also taken at that time. And uh, we would lump Daniel into that time of being taken also. And so uh, 
we, we see Ezekiel as a young man. At the time, 597, they estimate his age was 25. Uh, so at 30, he would be old enough to begin his duties as a priest because he was of the priestly family. So here we have a very intelligent young man. He's 25 years old. He is caught up in the iniquity of the land. And I want to just say this in passing, that when sin abounds and when, when the populace turns after evil things, a lot of times righteous people are caught up in the consequences. Let's put it that way, the consequences. Uh, even though they may be doing the best they can to live a good life, uh, they are still caught up in consequences because uh, God has to bring punishment on the majority, and the minority is caught up in that. And so the scripture says that at that time then 10,000 were taken, so Ezekiel was 25 years of age. Uh, he received a call, and at 30, since he was of the priestly tribe, uh, he was old enough to begin acting as a priest, but there, there wasn't any temple. <laughs> he, was in, he was in Babylon. He was in what we know as Iraq. Uh, you say, where was he in Iraq? Well, how about uh, he was in the southeastern section of what we know as Iraq. Uh, he was northwest of the Persian Gulf. Did you ever hear of the Persian Gulf? <laughs> Persian Gulf War? That's where he was. And uh, he had his own house. He, he lived as an exile. He wasn't like a prisoner. He was just transplanted there along with other people uh, that were Jews. And it it defanged them, folks. It, it took all their power away. They were in a strange land. Uh, they, didn't, they weren't familiar. They couldn't marshal an army together and go against the enemy because uh, they, were, they were foreigners to this place. This was a foreign place to them. And so that was the idea that they had in in displacing these people, so it took away their strength to band together and cause insurrection. Uh, so he did have a house. You can read in 324 of Ezekiel that he had a house. Uh, there's other places that talk about it. Uh, he had a wife. Uh, the scripture tells us in 2418 that his wife died in chapter 24, verse 18 that his wife died, um, and uh, a strange thing, he wasn't allowed to grieve for her uh, when she died. It was a sign to the people of what was going to happen. Uh, Ezekiel ministered for 22 years. Uh, he was, he was uh, faithful to what the, the Lord showed him to do. He, he used a lot of visions and parables and 
uh, he, he talked to the people uh, with signs and symbols in his preaching. Uh, so when you read the book of Ezekiel, sometimes you don't know if he's having a vision or if it's being used as a sign or if this is something that, that uh, he physically experienced. So in the scripture I read to you this morning, uh, the scripture says that he was this, this, at this time as the people came and set before him. These are other exiles. They've come and they're setting before him and they want him to minister to them. He is a priest. He is now a prophet. He's, he's a preaching. He's a preaching priest. So they want him, they want him to uh, talk to them about God. And at that time, he says that he has a vision and there's a hand from the Lord that gets him by the hair of the head <laughs> and lifts him up. And, and so we know this is a vision. This did not, he's still there in front of the people, but he's having this vision. And, and God transports him back 500 miles away or however far it was. I told you I didn't look at the distance again. But a long ways away back to Jerusalem. He's back at Jerusalem, and he goes to the temple in this vision. And God is, God is showing that he is justified in what he allowed to happen to these people. Now, the people that are before him are there for spiritual instruction. So we have to give them, they're in a foreign land, they're exiles, but they're interested in the things of God. And so they will be part of a remnant, part of what we would call survivors of what, will, what has gone on. God actually got them out of the land, but worse things are going to come on the land. They think, they think it's terrible enough that 10,000 got carried away in 597, but in 586, there's going to be an army come because there, again, is signs of revolt. And they actually destroy the city of Jerusalem, break down its walls, and later we know that it's in a terrible condition. And later in the Bible, you find where a fellow by the name of Nehemiah is allowed to go and rebuild the walls. But they come in, they destroy all the fortifications, and the, the people are devastated. Uh, walls were protection. Walls were security. Were, walls uh, were a sign of some symbol of civilization. So that was all destroyed. <coughs> and so the Bible says that Ezekiel was taken... And so here is where I got the sermon title. He became a spy. Now, I want to tell you, folks, I'm glad that the preacher's not a spy, okay? <laughs> I wouldn't want this kind of responsibility. Um, there, there are things that I know 
<coughs> that I will take with me to my grave because people have told me things and trusted me with things and I would, I would never ever tell what I know. Uh, sometimes people leave a church because the preacher knows too much. <laughs> uh, you know, things happen, and the preacher may be involved in counseling and things, and even though the preacher does a good job and tries to help, he knows too much. And so the people are uncomfortable. They go. They go somewhere else. So I'm glad I'm not a spy. I'm glad that... Uh, God hadn't called me to that, and God never has taken me by the hair of the head and transported me over to a place. So you see Ezekiel outside this wall, and there's a, there's a peak hole in there, and he looks through it. And when he looks through the peak hole, he sees something beyond, but God wants him to dig that hole bigger. And so he digs it out bigger, and he actually goes through the hole, doesn't he? He goes in there, and when he goes in there, uh, the scripture says that he sees these abominations, uh, these detestable things in the eyes of the Lord that are taking place. Um, you notice the uh, term, and we broke in on the scripture a bit, uh, if you look back, uh, the story of getting a hold of his hair, that was in verse 3. <clears throat> He's taken in by the Spirit uh, and bought in visions to Jerusalem. But when he goes there, he sees this image. It's called the image of jealousy. The image of jealousy. It is an idol that has been set up for people to worship and it's called the image of jealousy. The scripture tells us that God is jealous for us. <laughs> That's a whole sermon in itself. Uh, there are many scriptures that talk about the Lord being jealous for us. Uh, and that uh, his jealousy is not like the jealousy of a, of a man that is without cause. Uh, it's, not, it's not false suspicion. God knows through and through. But God wants to be number one in our lives, folks. He wants to be number one. If a man has a wife and she begins to pay attention to another man and, and she begins to show affection for another man, a lot of times the stories we read in the paper are a result of that kind of thing that goes on that somebody else comes into the picture and that home begins to show cracks in the stability. It begins, it begins to break up and, and people get violent. Well, God is jealous with a righteous and holy jealousy. He's not jealous because we are better off or because our situation's going to be improved. God knows 
that if we turn from him, that the object of his love, which is us, is going to be destroyed. That we are not going to be bettered off. We are not going to be improved. We are going to ruin our lives. And God loves us too much to just want to sit idly by and watch that happen. So he's jealous because of his love for us. Uh, <clears throat> there's things in Proverbs that tell us that jealousy is the rage of a man. You can look in Psalms 79.5, just for one scripture, and this is the only one I'm going to look at on this. 79.5 of Psalms. How long, Lord, wilt thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? So God expects that he is number one in our lives. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's the first commandment, isn't it? That is the first commandment. God expects to be number one. And he refuses to take a second place in our lives. If, if we're going to follow him, he has to be number one. I was witnessing to a uh, Muslim. He actually drew my blood down at Dublin Methodist. He was a friendly guy. And so I asked him where he was from, found out he was from Iraq. Name, name was Muhammad. And I said, Muhammad, uh, do you know anything about Christianity? Oh, yeah, he, he knew about Christianity. He had learned some about Jesus. And Jesus is a great man. Jesus, uh, Jesus was, a, was a good person. And I said, uh, so, Mohammed, do you know if you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus has to be number one. <laughs> Jesus has to be number one. Well, I don't know how much of that Mohammed got. He kept saying that Jesus was a good man and so forth. I said, Mohammed, do you have a New Testament? Well, he, he knew about it and so forth. I said, Mohammed, I would like to give you a New Testament so you can read it for yourself, so you can read about Jesus. He said, that would be okay. So when I went down through there another time, I stopped. Mohammed was only on assignment there. He told me for a month that he was transferred. He was moved around different places with his specialty and that... Uh, he was going to be there through the month of June. So I got down there before June was up. He didn't happen to be on duty at that time, uh, but I left it with the receptionist. I said, this is for Mohammed. And she acted happy that I had brought it. I don't know what she knew about him or whatever, but she acted happy. Yes, I'd be glad to give this to him. Uh, I took it in in a plastic bag so that it, if it was offensive to him, it wouldn't be something that was just outward for everybody to see. Uh, but I left it there for him. But yes, Jesus has to be number one, not only with Muslims. He's got to be number one with us, folks. He's got to have first place in our lives. And he is not going to be Lord at all 
if he cannot be Lord of all. He has to be Lord of all. He has to be Lord of our finances. He has to be Lord of our social life. He has to be the one that deserves and, and receives all of our allegiance, all of our love. You see, if you love Jesus with all your heart, then there's a mystery that takes place. And that is that Jesus fills your heart with enough love that you love other people better than you ever could because you love him first and you love him best. And that love is a growing, blossoming, uh, ever enlarging thing because of our love for him and for what he does in our lives. And so Ezekiel saw what was going on here with this temple. He saw this image of jealousy, uh, how God's anger was infuriated. You see, God was there. If you look in chapter 8 again, verse 4, we're saying the same chapter, and behold, the glory of God, the God of Israel was there. It was there. God's glory was there. But his people didn't see it. <laughs> Isn't that sad? His people didn't see it. The glory of God was there. But his people didn't see it. Instead, they had gone after other, other loves, other objects of worship. It says uh, that when he went in through the, the wall, he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, you see, these people think they're doing all this in secret. God doesn't know what we're doing. This is all behind closed doors. God doesn't have any idea what we're doing. I tell you what, there's some thing coming on TV this last week or, so, or two maybe, I don't know. I thought it was going to be a one-night thing on one of the popular channels. And uh, it, it is so sensuous. It, it is so full of, of fornication and all kind of evil. Uh, I, hope, I hope nobody that loves Jesus is watching it, but I, who knows. But there's people that think in the privacy of their own home, God doesn't know what they're doing. God doesn't know what they're involved in. Folks, God knows, doesn't he? He knows every bit of it. The Bible says that they thought they were in secret. He said, so he digs through the wall, he sees this door, and he said, I want you to see the wicked abominations. So God is making his case with these exiles, and, and Ezekiel is telling these exiles what's going on. He saw every form of creeping things, abominable beasts, all the idols of the house of Israel. These idols, these creeping things that were sketched on the wall, they were from Egypt. That Egypt was a home for this kind of thing. They had transferred this, I, this worship of creeping things from Egypt. And there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. Well, there were 70 men in the, in the Sanhedrin. This was long before the Sanhedrin, folks. There wasn't any Sanhedrin. But 
we are told that there were 70 people that Moses chose out of the ancients of Israel and that uh, those people had special responsibility. Uh, they, had, they had a, a closeness with Moses, with the leadership, and so this is representing the leadership, and I don't see my reference on that, I wrote it down, uh, that these people, oh, here it is, Numbers 11, 16 to 25. Numbers 11, 16 to 25, you'll find 70 are listed there <clears throat> that Moses chose out. So this is representing the leadership of, of uh, the temple, of the, of the Israelites, I should say. <clears throat> and Jeazaniah, he was like in charge of the temple, is what is believed. So <clears throat> they had their censers in their hand. They're worshiping these creeping things. God is there, but they don't, they don't acknowledge him. Uh, he says, God tells them <clears throat> that because of what they're doing in 8.6, look at this. They have done this that I should go far off from my sanctuary. They've driven God out by their idolatry and by their evil worship. They've driven God away. Folks, there are a lot of people today that give lip service to God. And we know that it doesn't matter who you are. If you're popular with people, if something happens to you, you go to heaven. <laughs> you're just, that's just automatic. Just figure it. It doesn't matter. If you're popular with people, you're in heaven. Everything's okay. And there are going to be wonderful platitudes that are presented on your behalf because, because they like you. But that doesn't mean you're accepted with God. So God said they've driven me out. Uh, you also see that uh, he, when he went further in, uh, that uh, they, he said, you'll see, you think it, this is the worst it could be. God says there's greater abominations. Uh, in verse 13, brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tamaz. Uh, that was uh, God that they believed in the dry time. It was an idol. It was, it was a false god. In the, in the heat of summer, things die. And, and they remained in a state of dormancy. And so they believed that this god, who was a god of fertility, which included all kind of evil worship, uh, that if they worshiped this God, that they, this God would allow the earth to spring back with, with vegetation again, with, with the gardens blooming, and with things greening up again. These women are, are weeping, and uh, the scripture says uh, that he sees this, and these two are in a holy place that is being perverted. Uh, and then he sees a yet greater abomination. 
brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house and the door of the temple. This was the, one of the holiest places. Between the porch and the altar were tw five and 20 men. So uh, 20 would be the heads of the tribes and or 25, 24 would be the heads of the tribes and the fifth would be the high priest. And he, they were all involved in this worship of the sun. So they had their back toward the things of God and they had their worship in the sun in the east. They got their back toward God and the worship in the sun. Folks, we have a generation of people who are sun worshipers today. They turn their back on the things of God and they go after all kind of pleasures. The scripture says lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Yes, I love pleasures, but I love God first. I love God above all. It's nothing wrong with having enjoyment. God has made life with enjoyment. But we need to have them in a proper place and God in his first place in our lives. And so Ezekiel saw these religious leaders. They were the leaders. Uh, and he said, is it a light thing? Now what about putting the branch to the nose? <laughs> What's that mean? That seems strange, doesn't it? It is strange. The commentators don't know what it means. Uh, they think it could, have been, it could have been some part of heathen worship, putting a branch to the nose, or it could have been mockery at the things of God that they put a branch to the nose. We don't know really any more about it than that. But God says, I'm going to deal in my fury. Now there's a, a phrase, and I'm winding up here, so don't get too nervous. I'm not going to keep here all afternoon. Uh, but uh, there is a repeated phrase in the book of Ezekiel. There's 48 chapters in Ezekiel. And... It was interesting to me as I studied that 65 times there is a refrain or a repeated phrase and that phrase is they shall know that I am the Lord. 65 times Ezekiel repeats that. They shall know that I am the Lord. Folks, there are a lot of people today that don't know that God exists, that God is the Lord, that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ requires our worship and our adoration. But this world will come to know that he is the Lord, and the scripture tells us every knee is going to bow. Oh, Hitler... Mussolini, uh, these that are Putin, whoever, every knee is going to bow before Jesus because he is all power and he's the one that deserves our worship. Yes, God's prophet Ezekiel became a spy. And it was to reveal the fact that there is no such thing as hidden sin. 
It may be hidden from men's eyes, but God sees the heart, and God sees what's going on in the United States of America. And there are a lot of things today that are putting the branch to the nose, if you want to use it as mockery, that are saying, look what we can do, and look what, look what we advocate, and look what we support, and look what we pay for. And we're bigger than God himself. But there'll come a time when they're going to find out that the Lord is the power. They will come to know that he is the one who is the Lord, the boss. And that's what Lord means, that he is the one, he is the boss, he is in charge. And so it wasn't a pretty message this morning, but it's true. And Ezekiel had the experience. We live in a, in a decadent day in a day of decay of spiritual values and morals. And some people are getting caught up that shouldn't be caught up in it because it's convenient. Because think about how odd Ezekiel was that he would stand out against the things that were going on. He must have been a, a real, looked at as a real oddball. But he was there to remind them, yes, God still got a plan for those that are faithful to him, even though there may be inconvenience. But God's judgment is going to come, and God will keep his word. And so my admonition this morning to preacher and people, because I'm as human as you are, and I have temptations, and I have my oppressions and problems that I deal with but folks we need to keep our eyes on Jesus we need to be faithful and I trust this morning that God speaks to our hearts and fortifies us against the onslaughts of the enemy and helps us to stand strong and true for Jesus regardless if we're out of step with the rest of society because folks we're getting more and more out of step with society, the more we hold on to this old book. <clears throat> Will you stand with me this morning?